What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. I wanted to get on here and do a quick intro to this one because it's two live streams sandwiched together. First one was at 8.30 with a CPI drop. It goes for about 20 minutes. And then the second one is a noon live stream that runs about 40 minutes with more broader topics that I cover. So uh, if you guys are liking this, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this on a podcast or on if you're watching it on Rumble. Uh, appreciate all your support. So like, subscribe, and share. And let's get into the episode. Hey, what's up, guys? Happy CPI morning. Thought I'd just jump onto the live stream here real quick and talk about uh, about what's going to be happening here in a few minutes and then read the report when it comes out or the release. Uh, my name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. You can follow me at this Twitter handle if you're on Twitter spaces at Ansel Linder. I also have a Telegram group that uh, this is the main live stream for the Telegram group. So you guys can go to t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets and check out bitcoinandmarkets.com for all of my content. Okay. So what do we have coming up here is the October CPI release. And I wanted to read a couple articles here, what to expect before we get into this, because we still have nine minutes until it's released. Um, so this is a article from Zero Hedge. Take it for what it's worth. Okay, I know a lot of people don't like Zero Hedge, but. Uh, here we go. CPI preview. Inflation is cooling, but will it be enough? As discussed earlier, most banks agree that while the midterms are important over the medium and long run, Thursday's CPI print will be the most important factor to shape the expectations for December's FOMC and the market's near-term reaction. Here, courtesy of News Squawk, is what to look for. Analysts expect headline consumer prices to pick up by 0.6% month-on-month in October, accelerating from 0.4% month-on-month in September, while the core measure is seen cooling by 0.5% uh, to 0.5% month-on-month, lower than the 0.6% month-on-month in September, but a still elevated level versus historical levels. Now, I think it's great that they're leading off with the month-on-month. And this is a change, guys. I, You know me. I've been hammering home that we need to look at month on month because if you're speeding in a car and you hit a brick wall, your average speed isn't going to hit zero for a long time, but you're dead. Okay? So just like CPI, uh, you need to worry about the month on month, maybe the quarter on quarter, but the month on month is going to tell you what's really happening, especially as we're waiting for CPI to turn over. Right. If you're waiting for CPI to come down uh, and you're looking at the year on year, it's just a fool's errand. You're going to be so late. You're going to be six, nine months late to the party. All right. If you look at July was zero percent month a month. August, 0.1. September, 0.4. So if you use those last three months and you and you annualize them, you get. um just it's like 1.6, right? Or 2%. It's 2%. And if if this comes in at 0.6% or 0.5% and you annualize that, you get to 3%. 
if you take all those last few quarters. So it's not 8% what the year on year number and what people are trying to convince you that inflation is still 8%. It's not. And as I put in Telegram earlier this morning is that the hurricane woke me up early this morning. So also uh, forgive me if I cut out here because uh, we did just have a little flicker in the power. So I'm in Florida and, and the hurricane's coming ashore. So anyways, um, the, I just posted this morning that up to $850 billion worth of foreign currency reserves have disappeared in this calendar year. That's money that has been evaporated. Okay. Um, I'm going to go into that more on my later live stream. This is just to look at this CPI announcement, but, uh, I thought I'd mention that. All right, let's read some more on what to expect here. Um, on an annual basis, headline CPI is expected to rise 7.9%, down from 8.2% last month. Core CPI is also uh, st- uh, should also slow to 6.5 from 6.6. The data will be framed in the context of how much progress the Fed is making towards lower inflation after the November FOMC meeting. Uh, sorry, after the November FOMC meeting, Fed Chair Powell said it was quote, very premature, end quote, to consider pausing or ending the rate hiking cycle, noting that inflation remains well above the Fed's longer run goals with price pressures evident across goods and services. Although longer term inflation expectations still appear well anchored, the Fed wants to see inflation coming down decisively and is prepared to stay the course until the job is done. Okay, well, well above their longer run goals, it depends on what you're looking at, right? If you're looking at the year on year, of course, but I don't think they're that stupid. Uh, they're not doing that. They're they're looking at the month on month here. So let's, let's see. Also, the uh, Cleveland Fed puts out this CPI Nowcast, and I did post that also this morning in Telegram, and their expectation is 0.76% month on month which is much higher than the quote-unquote analysts are saying. Um, I really don't know what to expect because of this housing number. Okay, the housing number is going to be the big one that comes in. And remember, housing is lagging. Most other things, like big misses, are going to be used cars. Oil is going to be slightly up, I believe, just a little bit. So energy prices might be a tiny bit up. Uh, healthcare is going to be a negative number here. We'll have to see how food comes in. But uh, the big number that's a third of this CPI is housing. So we're going to see what they say about housing. Has it it continued to accelerate higher? Is it flat? Because remember, if it's flat month over month, um, that won't be as big of a contributor to the month over month inflation. So All right, let's check. What time is it? 8.27. I'm going to refresh the BLS site still on September. Okay, here's another article headline. Beware the bounce if October CPI comes in soft. A cooling in inflation on Thursday could very well set off a relief rally in the stock market. Just don't expect it to stick around for long because it's unlikely that the Federal Reserve will be diverted from its rate hiking path, even if it slows the pace in, Dece- in December. Okay, so 
Remember, I think that any change of direction is a pivot. And it actually was kind of a soft pivot in November because they changed their language, right? They, they talked about cumulative, uh, a cumulative cycle instead of let, let's be data driven for this month. No, they said they're going to look cumulatively and hold on. I'm going to tell my kids they're home for the hurricane. So let me uh, tell them to shut up here real quick. All right, sorry about that. Okay, let's refresh the CPI site and see what it is. I'm going to go through the press release and just read the important parts. Again, guys, you can join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. I'm posting way more on there than I am on Twitter, forming a nice little community. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. I can hear the wind raging outside. This is a pretty exciting morning. <laughs> uh, I think we're only supposed to get up to 40 or 50 mile an hour gusts. So it's not going to be too terrible. We're used to that. Okay, let's look at the markets pre-CPI drop. Uh, S&P futures are slightly green, only 0.35% higher. Bitcoin is... Of course, after this big sell-off, it is having a tiny little bounce. We'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I was talking yesterday that the bounce has to be convincing, you know. So right now, since it's fallen even more, I would say a bounce above nineteen thousand would be quite convincing for Bitcoin. So uh, we'll wait for there. I I did dip my toe in a little bit with a little bit of DCA last night. Um, so we'll see how far this bounces. Let's look at the dollar. 110, still within the range, nothing spectacular to talk about. Oil down to 85, slightly red on the day so far. Of course, this is futures. Oh, and it just popped green into 86. Uh, okay, so BLS must have just dropped. Let me see what we got here. 830. I'm refreshing. I'm refreshing. Okay, uh, let's take another look at these charts. The 10-year, big drop down under four, so it must be out. Come on, guys, refresh. I'm not, I'm not seeing it on my side here. Ten-year is dropping below 4%, and that's one thing I've been watching. Rates are in charge, not the Fed. I'm still not seeing, I'm seeing September on the BLS website. It's already one minute past. Okay, there we go. CPI for all items raise, rises 0.4% in October as, uh, let me read this now. Okay, uh, consumer price index for all urban consumers rose 0.4% in October on seasonally adjusted basis. That is a huge, huge miss. Huge miss. Like I said, the Cleveland Fed, the CPI now, was showing 0.75 or 76%. Wow, this is a big miss. Almost 50% below that, 0.4% on an adjusted basis. The same 
increase as in September, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported today. Over the last 12 months, all items increased 7.7%. So it was the analysts were saying 7.9, 7.7. That is a another big miss. Okay, the index for shelter contributed over half of the monthly. Oh, man, come on, get off my screen. I have this stupid highlighter thing that is in my way. I can't read it. Okay, um, monthly all items increase. So the shelter contributed half of the monthly all items increase. Wow. With the indexes for gasoline and food also increasing, the energy index increased 1.8% over the month as the gasoline index and the electricity index rose, but the natural gas index decreased. The food index increased 0.6% over the month with the food at home index rising 0.4%. All right, so kind of what I said here just a few minutes ago, the energy component is slightly positive, um, but the biggest contributor is the housing and it wasn't as big as expected, obviously. The index for all items, less food and energy, rose 0.3%. So that's a core number. That is low after rising 0.6% in September. The indexes for shelter, motor vehicle insurance, recreation, new vehicles, and personal care were among those that increased over the month. Indexes which declined in October include used cars and trucks, like I said, healthcare, medical care, like I said, apparel, and airline fare indexes. The all items index increased 7.7% for the 12 months ending in October. And remember, we don't really care about the year on year because it does not gather the instantaneous slowdown that we've had. This was the smallest 12 month increase since the period ending January of 2022. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, The all items less food and energy index rose 6.3% over the past 12 months. The energy index increased 17% for the 12 months ending October, and the food index increased 10% over the last year. All these increases were smaller than for the period ending in September. All right, so taking a look at this, I'm going to clip this out for my guys over on Telegram and post this. If you guys want to join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets just going to post this here real quick so we can take a look at it together so food rose 0.6 percent energy 1.8 percent fuel oil that's the big one here too 19.8 percent in october wow that's a pretty big jump uh so that would be diesel right uh diesel fuel oil 19.8%. Looking down for shelter, 0.8%. And remember, that was half of the increase. All right, let's take a look at what the markets are doing. Come on. All right, so the 10-year, 3.98%, 3 3.96%. So that is below the upper limit of the Fed funds range. First time in this entire cycle, this has happened. Let's take a look at the other tenors here. The five-year is at 
0.7%. So almost getting into that, um, that Fed funds range, it has dropped 17 basis points today. Wow, that's a pretty big drop. Two-year, 4.41%, also dropped 17 basis points today. One month off two basis points down to 3.51%. So remember, yields are in charge, not the Fed. If they drop here and continue dropping, like let's say the 10-year and the five-year both go below 4%, even below four, uh, 3.75%, below their Fed funds range, they're not going to hike in December, guys. They're not going to do it. Just go back to 2018, 2019, and I think it was January 2019, is when they paused because the 10-year and five-year dropped below the range or dropped into the range. So that is huge. Let's take a look at stocks. Well, first, let's take a look at Bitcoin, since this is mainly supposed to be a Bitcoin channel. Oh, big, big bounce here, 17,360. So that's a pretty big bounce. Again, I'm looking for a bounce above 19,000 to be like, hey, this sell-off has been mitigated. There was some despair out there on Twitter. Uh, Jesse Powell, formerly of Kraken, I don't know if he's still with, with him, but I think he's stepping down or has just recently stepped down from Kraken. Uh, he had a nice big despair uh, tweet thread this morning, and I responded to that on Twitter and in Telegram. I am more positive than he is. I think this is an opportunity. This sell-off is an opportunity. And if we get a big bounce here, then, you know, that's that's all just going to be better. Let's see, S&P 500. Ah, flat, guys, flat. Let's take a look at the 15-minute. So no real reaction from S&P 500 futures. We'll see how they open up later today. Again, oil is slightly higher, 86. Uh, Let's take a look at the dollars. Uh, Slightly lower, slightly lower. I mean, big time lower if you look at it in the 15 minutes. Damn, let me go back to the daily chart. Um, Down to 109 again. So the dollar is selling off here. And that's interesting, right? I mean, think about this. So CPI, when CPI was high, the dollar was raging higher. When CPI prints lower than expected, significantly lower than expected, um, what happens to the dollar? It's selling off. That's weird. That shouldn't, that's the opposite of what you would expect, right? And that's because the <laughs> we haven't printed money. We haven't printed, it's it's not the thing, it's not the stereotypical textbook definition that all the financial press is telling you. And even the, the alternative macro space, including Bitcoin and gold bugs and all that, they are inflationists. So anyway, guys, I'm going to cut it there because this is just a quick update on CPI. And I will be back later today with another live stream that I'm going to re- record. I'm doing these daily live streams five days a week on weekdays uh, on the Telegram and on Twitter spaces. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. All right, guys. What is up? Second live stream of the day. Name is Ansel Linder, Bitcoin and Markets. I am streaming on Telegram and Twitter spaces. Today is November 10th, 2022. We, this was CPI this morning, so 
at 8.30, jumped on here, talked a little bit about CPI, had the initial reaction, and read the initial report. Uh, we're going to go through a little bit of that here today. I'm going to lead that into Powell's Dilemma. If there is a dilemma, talk a little bit about that. And I saw Phil was down in here, so oh, but he left Telegram. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Powell's Dilemma. Then we're going to go into the Bitcoin price and talk about this FTX stuff. I mean, it's just getting crazier and crazier. And how this leads into regulation, what we're seeing um, kind of develop today over the last couple hours. So kind of a broad, wide-ranging, flowing conversation. I have unmuted people on Telegram, uh, so I will be opening up the mic at the end for any other stuff that you guys know about or you saw uh, that you want to add to the conversation or if you have any clarifying questions or whatever, um, that will come at the end. All right. So I see a lot of similar people in here from this morning. So you guys know that CPI increased 0.2, sorry, 0.4% in October. It was a huge miss to the downside and markets responded very positively. Um, I was surprised it got that low. I, I, the CPI now forecast was 0.75 or 76%. Uh, so this is a huge miss. And uh, the biggest factor was shelter. And I've talked about this a lot, that how lagging the shelter component can be 12 to 24 months lagging. Right. I mean, yes, there was the moratorium on evictions and stuff during COVID, the COVID during 2020, but look, it, the shelter component didn't come up at the beginning of the CPI when CPI started rising in March and April of 2021. The shelter component stayed low because people don't, you know, they don't sign new leases every single month. It takes them a year or two. I know lots of places um, outside of the United States. I think the U.S., a vast majority of leases are single-year, one-year leases. But outside, I think in Europe, they have two, three, four, five-year leases that they sign. And so these types of things um, won't be baked into the cake very quickly, right? Also, you don't buy a new house every year unless you're a flipper or something. And so if you have a fixed-rate mortgage that's <laughs> – is down at like two and a half, three percent from a few years ago. It's not like you're going to be looking to move anytime soon. And so, a lot of these higher rates and higher inflation or higher CPI and stuff that doesn't translate very quickly into the shelter component. Uh, so it lags by at least a year, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, look the the rest of the CPI started coming up in March, April of 2021, and now we're in November of 2022. And really, the shelter component started rising last month. I think last month was 0.7%. This month was roughly, um, let me look at that real quick. What was this month in the shelter component? Come on. It was 0.8%. Uh, so really, the shelter component, let's see, August, it started rising August, September, and now October more than a year after the rest of the CPI really took off, right? And so 
this is that shows you that it's it's on a big delay. Um, if you take that out, we're down to zero point two percent CPI month on month, and that's about what one and a half percent or so uh, annualized. And that's what I think is a sustainable long term for CPI. A lot of people think, um, you know, we're going to have higher inflation for longer. It's going to be persistent. But what I have been saying is we're going back to a post GFC normal, low growth, low inflation, because it's based on the form of the money. The fan for my computer is annoying the hell out of me. All right. Um, yeah, low growth, low inflation, form of the money, and at the end of a credit cycle, and now this deglobalization trend is not going to help rebuild credit, right? Re reflate the bubble. The bubble's over. It was all transitory. We're going back towards low growth, low inflation. And so I'm not surprised by the CPI this week or th this month, and uh, it'll probably be lower in the November CPI. But anyway, this brings up this Powell's dilemma because, you know, he doesn't want to hike or he, he, um, this, his stated goal is to crash the economy or to crash demand, right? And that means crash the economy, but he won't say those words. He'll just say, I, I want to, you know, pull back demand or get demand in line with supply. And since this is a supply-driven CPI crisis, uh, they have to really pull back demand, and that means crash the economy. But they don't want to like have a hard landing. There, there's like this weird balancing act that they have to do is how to talk it down, but not crash the economy uh, rapidly to have a hard landing, how to talk it into a soft landing. Because, you know, they're monetary policy is all about talking and not about actual mechanistic stuff. Um, so when, when you put that towards the end of a hiking cycle, because they have admitted that they are near the end, right? They talk about what is the terminal rate? Well, the terminal rate that the Fed, the board of governors is talking about is like 5%. Well, if we raise 75 basis points next meeting, that means they only need to raise another 25 basis points after that. So they're very close by their own admission. They're very close to the end, but that means that the market will front run them. They won't the their monetary policy, which is job owning won't have the required quote unquote required effects that they want because they're being front run by the market. So they have this weird dilemma. How do they get to the end of uh, rate hikes without being front run? So that you, they, the full effect of the rate hikes or the monetary policy can be felt. Um, the only way they can do that is by surprising the market, you know, keeping uncertainty in the market. And then, you know, if they, Let's say they come out in December. They're talking hard, like 50 or 75. We don't know which we're going. And then they go for 25. That's going to have an effect. Or maybe they start talking about 25, 25, 25, and they go 50, right? The surprise. That's going to keep their, uh, keep their monetary policy transmission 
in check the the way that they want it. So um, I've I, every time I notice a tweet from the Fed whisperer or from other Fed board members or governors, I always I, I always think in my head, this is a monetary policy tweak. It's a nudge. It's a tap. They're trying to guide the market the way they want. And that includes everything, everything built, the narrative built by the Fed. Um, so that's Powell's dilemma. People think if CPI comes down, then, and mar- the markets scream higher, then that actually gives Powell more room to continue to raise rates. So I saw Phil in here earlier. Let me see if Phil's in the telegram. Phil Gibson. He's he jumped out still. Um, so Phil had a tweet to, uh, retweeting Tom Luongo this morning and saying, like, look, the higher the stocks go, the more room. Oh, no, that's was this Phil or this was. Um, maybe it was Dylan LeClaire. I can't remember. It's one of the two, but they they say, look, as as uh, stocks react positively to the CPI. That just gives more room for Powell to continue to raise rates. And I, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Have you seen the 10-year? So let's take a look at the 10-year. I posted it in Telegram just now, the most recent um, snapshot. And it looks like I doubled up on the dollar and I didn't do the 10-year. Oops. Let me grab that 10-year chart real quick. Sorry about this, guys. I'm going to pull in the five-year and the two-year as well. I tweeted a very similar chart this morning. So you guys uh, on Twitter Spaces, you can look at my profile and see the the chart that I tweeted out this morning. Um, But it's gotten worse, okay? So just today, the 10-year has fallen 24 basis points right into the center of the Fed funds range. The Fed funds range is 3.75 to 4%. The 10-year now is at 3.85. The five-year, 3.95. So both the 10-year and the five-year are inside the Fed funds range. What does that mean for this Powell dilemma? It means he doesn't have a dilemma. He follows what the rates are doing. So who cares what the stock market's doing? Who cares? He doesn't care. The stocks falling, if stocks were like having a Black Friday or something or, you know, falling 50% in a day or something like that, then, of course, the plunge protection team would come in and they would, they might be forced to do some sort of monetary policy. But that wouldn't, it wouldn't crash like that in absence of anything else, of everything else. Okay. It would be a whole market collapse. But the primary driver here is as the S&P 500 and as stocks and people are front running the Fed and they're going up now, rates are coming down. If the 10-year continues to fall and say it's at 3.5% and it, by December meeting, the Fed will not raise to 4.75%, guys. They just won't do it. And if they do do it, it will be a massive mistake. 
because they will lose all confidence from the market. Nobody would trust, it would expose the great mythology that is the Fed, right? It would be the curtain being pulled back on the wizard. If they raised rates, when the 10-year and the five-year and the two-year and all these are crashing through the Fed funds range, and they continue to raise that Fed funds range, that's like pulling back the curtain on the wizard and people would see that they're impotent, that they have no power here. It's all smoke and mirrors. They won't do it. All right. Um, let's get into some of these other charts I posted here. I also posted uh, the dollar chart, like I said, and it's having a really rough day down to 108. I expect that to continue. Um, you know, nothing goes up in a straight line. And like I've been saying that the dollar uh, got to a very acute pressure point and now it is being released. And so we're going to enter this kind of range bound nature to the dollar. CPI is going to come down. Growth is going to come down. Stocks are going to go through the roof. Um, interest rates are going to come down. And I saw this this uh, uh, chart that was circulating. I think Macro Alpha actually did retweet it as well. Uh, but it showed like housing prices by yields. Maybe it was maybe it was by the uh, typical you know thirty year mortgage rate or something like that. And the dot for today was way out in the middle of space. And so the option for that to return to normal was either to have the price crash by like 50% in the real in real estate or to have rates crash. And of course, all the doom doomers out there, what are they going to say? What are all the, the fear mongers going to tell you? Of course, they're going to tell you that housing prices are going to crash. This is the uh, repeat of the subprime mortgage debacle. No, of course not. Yields are going to crash. We're seeing that today. The 10 years down and the 10 years tightly uh, correlated with the with mortgage rates. We saw 22 basis points come down off the 10 year today. I mean, it's a very significant percent. Let's, what's the percent of that drop? So the 10 year is down almost 6% today. And what if it keeps falling? You know, what if by the end of the year, the 10 years back down to 3% and mortgage rates are back down to 3%. I mean, that would be a dramatic change in mortgage rates, maybe, maybe 4%, but they were up at 7% dropping to 4%. What are the people that bought houses at 7% going to do? They're going to refinance. And it's going to support the pricing price of houses and, and yada, yada, yada. So people, I think, are way too into the end of the world. Like the end of this system, guys, the end of this system does not die in fire, okay? The end of this system dies in entropy. Credit-based system that cannot unwind, that will not be allowed to unwind, does not die in a flyery flame of inflation. It dies in the cold, dead waste of entropy. And that's what we're going back to. So anyway, um, let's look at the Bitcoin price. Let me pull that chart up. Um, big bounce here. Uh, 
when I took this snapshot, a uh, screenshot, it was at uh, 17,834. Huge bounce off the bottom. What is that on a daily percentage? Now I got to pull this chart up. Hold on, guys. So go back to Bitcoin. Oh, my God. It's up 11.5% today. That is a humongous bounce. Um, but like I said this morning, you know, I don't, I'm not going to get too excited until we break above 19,000 again. And then I'll get really excited when we break back above, say, 20 or 21,000. That is going to be the really exciting time um, because this low was, is going to be a very hard set low. Like, I don't think we'll ever. If if we get above 20,000 again within the next few days, we're not coming back down to 15,000. Um so anyway, and then someone else posted something, I put it on uh, Telegram as well about this chart. Let me see if I can find it. And it was talking about um reserve risk for Bitcoin. And it's a glass node chart, and it's showing that we are way below historic norms. We're like at the lowest level since this chart started back in 2013. So we're even below the levels, you know, in 2015 at the bottom of that bear market. And so I was just obviously I like to do this type of thing just to kind of fantasize about what the price is going to do. But um, I, you know, if if this turns has a uh, equal but opposite reflection, right? So the the lower this reserve risk goes, that means that the higher the price pump, the following bull market. Because if you look at 2018 bear market, it didn't get very low. 2020, it did not get as low as here. And they had correspondingly sized bull markets that followed these these sell-offs and the, this uh, reserve risk. So if this is the lowest reserve risk we've had ever in Bitcoin, will that translate into a massive, massive bull market? And again, this kind of fits my, my thesis here that there's going to be some sort of repricing event. And if we have an equal bull run to 20, uh, 2016, 2017, uh, we're going to a million. We're going to a million in, in the next 18 months. Uh, doesn't feel like it now. But it very well could happen. And, you know, once it gets to a million, then people aren't going to buy it because they're going to say, oh, we missed out. It's too late. It's too expensive. Um, so it's going to keep those people out. Anyways, uh, that's just a fun, fun chart to look at. So that's what I'm thinking about Bitcoin. It's having a good day. Let's look at the stock chart. S&P 500 making a massive move as well bouncing through the previous resistance in October that was holding it down, going towards now, uh, back towards the August highs. So we'll see if that can continue. Once again, I have been a bull on the stock market and Bitcoin, even though we had this big sell-off. Um, that's a tail risk for Bitcoin. But perhaps by the end of the year, we can recover. You know, What if we recover by the end of the year back to 40,000? Um, it's definitely possible if we have 11% days like we'd have today. So anyways, um, what else is on the list here? Okay. Let's talk about the FTX thing. Um, 
Oh, so I did write about this on the newsletter. I said, you know, without the FTX tail risk, because I did talk about it. So Monday when I released my newsletter, I said this week looks like it's going to be bullish, but there is the tail risk of FTX. If this blows up, then, you know, we could have a bad day. And so think about that. Like, think about this CPI measurement that came in and what the market reacted to that. Now, what if we would have been starting at 20,000? You know, we would have been at 23, 24,000 right now. Minus this FTX thing, which doesn't change the fundamentals of Bitcoin. FTX does not change the fundamentals. I think we're massively, massively oversold here. Massively. This is a huge opportunity. Um for people to buy under 20,000. I mean, not investment advice, but this is a huge opportunity for people. Let me make sure Twitter spaces didn't conk out. All right. My phone falls asleep and I don't know if I'm still broadcasting. Okay. So that's that. What about this regulation? So let's dive into what is going on with this. So a couple hours ago, Bitcoin Magazine tweeted that Tether reportedly begins freezing Tether addresses owned by FTX at the request of law enforcement. And we saw yesterday a tweet that U.S. regulators were looking into this situation with FTX. And on yesterday's live stream, I said, you know, could have regulatory impacts. Like this will lead to regulations of stable coins. This will lead to regulations of these exchanges, much tighter regulation. Um which in the grand scheme of things is good. I think this is an opportunity for us to really drive that wedge between Bitcoin and the false substitutes. There is no substitute for Bitcoin. That's like calling nickel a substitute for gold or tungsten a substitute for gold. All right, there are things kind of like Bitcoin but they are not, they should not be considered in the same class. Bitcoin is its own thing. And these false substitutes need to be called out. And so this type of regulation, because we do have friends, Bitcoin has friends in Congress. I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying I want these, this type of thing, but you know, at least we have some friends in Congress and they're, there's going to be an open discussion about this. Bitcoin doesn't need the regulation that FTX needs or Coinbase needs or Ethereum needs. And we're going to have that open discussion in front of everybody. And I think it's going to be a good thing. So, uh, and maybe some of those regulations will codify these false substitutes as false substitutes. You know, Bitcoin doesn't need government uh, regulation to become money. You know, that's the chartalist idea of money is that governments create money. It's like an MMT type theory that governments are the source of all money. The idea of money, the creation of money, the extinguishing of money, all of that is at, you know, a purview under the, the natural purview of the state. Of course, we know that that's not true. 
Bitcoin is part of nature now, just like gold is part of nature. It's Bitcoin is tied to nature through proof of work. It's here. It doesn't need government to say that it's money. It works right now as money. It's not very broadly used, but it does work as money right now. It's just a fact that some people are going to adopt it. And the government is an adopter of Bitcoin. It will eventually adopt Bitcoin. Bitcoin won't get rid of government. I mean, if Bitcoin could get rid of government, if it created, made people all angels, right? Like Thomas Jefferson said, if we, if all men were angels, there would be no need for government. Same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin would create no need, uh, need, uh, destroy the need for government if all men became angels. And I think it will help, but whatever. Um, so what about Gary Gensler's? This came out from Tom Emer. He's rep Tom Emer. And he's saying that Gary Gensler runs to the media while reports to my office allege he was helping uh, Sam Bankman Fried, Freed, whatever that name is, and FTX work on legal loopholes to obtain a regulatory monopoly. We're looking into this. And remember what CZ said. CZ's original tweet a couple days ago was, uh, we're selling our FTX because, uh, or FTT, because FTX is going behind everyone's back with lobbying. And that's exactly now what a representative in the House of Representatives is saying that he's hearing, that Gary Gensler was working behind the scenes with this guy. This is, this could blow up. Man, oh man. But once again, Tether's the good guy. <laughs> I mean, it's not good to freeze people's accounts, okay? But I have no problem with a centralized stablecoin. I really don't. It's not as good as Bitcoin. Bitcoin will dominate it. But look, Tether is a centralized stablecoin. They don't deserve the FUD that they get. They're good actors in the space. And they now have frozen stuff from FTT. Maybe they were trying to dump something, run away with some money, hide something. So anyway, um, this is crazy. I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you guys are thinking about it over there on Telegram. Um, what else? So yeah, I think we're going to get regulation in the next 12 to 24 months, especially for stable coins. I think that's definitely coming. Um, what else did I have on my notes here? That was it for my notes. Let's see if anything else pops out to me on the Telegram channel. All right, this was from Alistair Milne. He's an OG Bitcoiner in the space. He's criminally unfo uh, underfollowed on Twitter. But he said that um, Max fear capitulation is bullish. CPI beats expectations, bullish. Tether FUD disproven, bullish. Fundraising to rebuy customers crypto, bullish. Selling FTX US uh, to rebuy customers crypto, bullish. US dollar weakening, bullish. U.S. 10-year yield breaking trend, bullish. All this stuff is bullish. I mean, I'm thinking we're putting in a major bottom here, guys. 
I'll be interested to hear what you think. Okay, and last thing I thought this was interesting. I posted this also in Telegram is uh, this study that came out and they did a study with male traders and they gave them this testosterone gel and then they had them do these trading sessions on their out, you know, their programs. And the people, the the traders that took this testosterone gel made all these prices spike, made all these bubbles get bigger and last longer. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but of course, I want to see what would it look like if they, you know, uh, did some sort of back testing with what does trading look like during a solar storm or during some sort of weather stuff? Um, there's got to be other correlations. I think a lot of people underestimate how much part of nature human beings are and how much there is subconsciously going on with um, with us. Just look at this is a level of testosterone makes your, the market go higher. Well, what about if it's uh, record cold temperatures or what about if it's got a, if there's a solar storm going on? How does that affect us? You know, we're not these uh, perfectly rational beings that everybody thinks that we are. We're just part of nature, too. So anyways, OK, I'm going to end it there. Open up the mic on Telegram. Questions, comments, concerns, go for it. Reed, what's up? Go ahead. Hey, one thing one thing we haven't talked about yet, and I was just wondering what you thought about um, what a Fed pivot would mean, uh, specifically for international markets, and how likely you think it is that they're going to be willing to take the opportunity to invest in let's say neutral reserve assets like gold and Bitcoin uh, versus like U.S. treasuries or other U.S. equities. All right. So the question is, what does a Fed pivot mean for um, the market, for international markets, for, uh, I guess, ratio of types of assets that people are holding? Um, I think it's going to, well, it has a psychological effect. Okay. So let me just say this. It has a psychological effect and the if the fed pivots risk assets are going to pump but at the same time um you're going to see some reflation and some move back into treasuries as well because treasuries have really sold off and i i don't know how to exactly word this but like if you are having to sell your treasuries you know that has compounding contraction on the credit supply because you know, the, these treasuries are usually they're owned by three, four, five, six people in chains of collateral. Well, if these people are having to start to sell, if they're having, you know, there's problems on their books, these chains of collateral are collapsing. That is a dramatic contraction in the supply of money. Um, but what happens when like the acute pressure is relieved? And it's very much a psychological pressure on the market. Well, then these chains of collateral will stop collapsing and we'll get some reflation in the supply of money. But that takes a long time to show up as any sort of economic activity back again. Um, my kind of prediction for how this goes for the economy is just low growth, low inflation um, going back to normal, I guess post GFC normal. Does that answer the question reader or, or maybe you can explain it to me a little bit better? 
Yeah, no, it's just the reason I brought it up is just because like we've been like in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about international markets. And then, you know, recently it's been a lot more just centric. So I just wanted to know, I, I think it does answer the question. I, honestly, I didn't really necessarily even know which direction I was heading in. I just wanted to see what you thought more about the international markets. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, my overall theory for where the, the international markets are going is in, in a deglobalized world, um, you know, trust breaks down, which means that credit breaks down. And so the amount of credit in the world is going to shrink uh, with deglobalization. I think China is a huge bubble waiting. It's, it's starting to collapse right now. That's going to have massive effects for people that are exposed to China. And um, I'm less bearish on continental Europe than the UK, things like that. I think uh, they're going to have a lot of problems because the UK seems to be just riddled with these WEF types. Um, maybe the Netherlands is as well. Uh, some of these other places around the headquarters of uh, you know the European Union in, in Belgium and Netherlands and places. But um, yeah, I, I would say I'm I'm bearish on China, anything connected to China. So that does mean Japan too, to a high degree. Um, and I think we're going back towards sound money. So the, the th this isn't really answering your question. This is just, I'm just kind of stream of consciousness here, but the, so as trust breaks down and credit breaks down around the world and you're on a credit-based system that you can't allow to collapse or else it goes to zero. Yes, people are going to flee back towards sound money that doesn't rely on counterparties, you know, counterparty free asset. So that's Bitcoin, that's gold, silver. Um, that's what I'm thinking. And of course, in the future, when we have this multipolar world, we need a neutral asset that isn't based on global trust. Um, and global credit to trade between these multipolar powers. And so we need this neutral, this new money. So just like how the world, I believe the world naturally adopted the Euro dollar. They naturally adopted credit-based money because it was extremely useful to be able to expand so much you know, to build up Germany, to build up Europe, to build up China, uh, to start building up the emerging markets. There was just so much productivity gains to be had by expanding credit that the, the euro dollar system naturally filled in that, that demand. But now as the world is at the end of the credit cycle, as we're deglobalizing and as, as, as a global trust is breaking down, it's going to go the other way. And it's going there. So the money is going to change with the changing societal structure, uh, global geopolitical structure. So, uh, yeah, sorry for the rant there. All right. Anybody else have anything to bring up over on Telegram? Oh, I see Raphael or Raphael. Go ahead. Hey, Ansel. Uh, I would like to know if you. What, what do you think about uh, uh, miner 
public miners uh, maybe maybe there are they are uh, under a lot of pressure because the hash rate keep, keeps rising and the bitcoin price keeps uh, falling mm -hmm. so maybe one maybe one or two miners uh, fail uh, do you think that's uh, reasonable or is it just uh, fud uh, i don't know okay so the question is um what are my thoughts on miners uh, with the increase in hash rate decrease in price there seems to be a lot of uh, trouble brewing if you look at the public miners like that you brought up there is their stocks are down 80 90 percent on the year that's incredibly big sell-off of mining stocks um i think there's probably some sort of capitulation in the future but what a lot of people i think uh i think people understand this but it's doesn't always immediately come to your thought process is that when companies go insolvent, you know, and they start selling off their assets or whatever, it's not like those miners or their property disappears, right? Their property is just bought up by somebody else. It's reassigned to somebody else. So insolvency in the mining sector doesn't mean that hash rate is necessarily going to crash. It doesn't mean that uh, there is some weakness exposed in Bitcoin. It actually is strengthening Bitcoin because it brings in new blood, new ideas, new entrepreneurs, and the existing ones that are the best at managing their money and managing the business, they benefit from this because they can buy some miners for pennies on the dollar. So, um, yes, there probably will be some capitulation. Some public miners will probably go under. Uh, we saw Core, Core Scientific and Argos now are, are in trouble. Uh, there was that Compute North. They were a hosting uh, service. They went belly up. So we're probably going to see more of that. I, I kind of expected the, that this Compute North was the end of it because I didn't see this big uh, FTX tail risk here to sell off on the prices. But now that we got, got this sell off on prices, um, we're going to have a lot of pain going through the mining system, but it is, it is ultimately healthy, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, uh, I think that's going to happen to mining. Does that answer the question, Raphael? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Warren, go ahead. got to unmute. Hey, Ansel. Thanks for the uh, feedback or the, the rundown there. It was great. You said about um, a million in 18 months, sir. How, how, I know it's a wee bit of hopium at this stage, but like, how would you actually see something like that playing out? <laughs> yeah, so, okay, the, the question was, I said a million bucks in this cycle, and how do I see something like that playing out? And he's, he, Warren knows it's hopium. So that's relayed for you guys over there on Twitter spaces. Um, yeah, man, I, I think it's going to happen. Well, okay. It's not a million by the end of the year or anything. I think we can get to 40,000 by the end of the year pretty easily. Um, 
And by the end of this cycle, which might take up to a year, by the end of next year, maybe, um, I could see us getting close to a million. I mean, it, just imagine the FOMO. When that, when it breaks up there, like 200,000, I mean, the FOMO is going to be incredible. But um, it's going to happen by large pools of capital adopting Bitcoin and putting it on their balance sheets. So similar to maybe what El Salvador is doing, not... Not the Bitcoin Beach side, but how they bought $100 million of the Bitcoin. Um, that's going to be a type of template how I can see things going forward in the future. And where, you know, these um, pools of capital, they hold a lot of cash. They probably hold some gold, some gold mining stocks. They hold some real estate um, funds and things like that. Uh, they're just going to diversify into Bitcoin. When When we looked at the BlackRock, you know, they have, I think it's BlackRock has like $10 trillion in assets. Fidelity has like $3 trillion in assets. And if, you know, they're, they just diverse, if their clients just diversify between one and 5% into Bitcoin, that could send Bitcoin to half a million easily. And now on top of that, what if we have some countries buying in? So, um, you know, it's the market is going to have, has this very high demand for counterparty uh, counterparty risk-free assets and so yeah gold will go up bitcoin will go up and it will just naturally people will tend to go away from financialization and credit and globalization and start thinking about nationalism uh, sound investment sound money holding cash that type of thing uh, and so that's kind of how i see this going forward does that answer the question warren yeah, perfect answer. Cheers, Matt. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Well, I'm going to call it quits there for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, go to bitcoinmarks.com. Make sure you sign up for the free newsletter that comes out uh, on Mondays. Also, subscribe to the Rumble. Watch the Rumble stuff. Subscribe to the podcast feed, Bitcoin and Markets, on any podcast app. Uh, give me a, a few listens on there. That helps me. I'm, I've just added advertising on onto those podcast uh drops so that you know will help out a lot if you guys give me a couple listens on there and if you like my stuff make sure you share all of my content around and i appreciate everybody for the ongoing support all right have a good rest of the day and i'll talk to you guys tomorrow bye